probably gone four years without telling people, you can be seated now if you want to. Just kind of let you do it on your own. Um, so today I got a little bit of juice on my thumb there. So, um, oh, thank you, Tim. Um, <clears throat> for today, I mean, I might be a little experimental today. I, the Lord didn't give me as many notes as he usually does, and uh, but at the same time, I got done, you know, I'm, I'm writing down notes, you know, and I get down to the end of it, and I knew that I ha- he, he wouldn't give me any more notes to say, but I knew he, that there were still things to say. And so after waiting for quite a while, I thought, well, I guess, I guess he just wants me to kind of go off book, so to speak. And, you know, it's important to do that, important to yield to the Holy Spirit and listen to him as he, as he speaks to you. Let's go ahead and open our Bibles and turn over to Psalm 23. So uh, my plan is to really take my time with this today, because if I don't, it's going to be over way too quickly, because like I said, I, got, I, I have uh, not, not a whole, whole lot of notes here, about two-thirds of the notes I usually have. So um, the title of today's message is Giving God's Way. Giving God's Way. And you know, the subject is uh, provision and finances. And for those of you who know me, you know that I don't like to teach on finances. I usually try to teach on them once a year, and I think I, think I missed last year. And I may have missed the year before that. You know, I'd, and I mean, there's reasons for that. I mean, I don't, I don't like to teach on finances because, um, you know, I think the churches teach an awful lot on fan, finances. I think a lot of churches spend too much. This is just an opinion of mine, okay? This is just my opinion. This is Pastor Phil's opinion. I think that many churches spend too much time talking about it. And uh, I think that when you talk about it too much, you look like you're just asking for, asking and asking and asking. And that's not, that's not my heart. That's not my intention. Because the Bible doesn't teach it that way. You know, and uh, to me, you know, giving and tithing is, you know, offering and stuff. That's not a foundational thing, you know. Um, so there can be some different views of, on it. That doesn't, that doesn't bother me that, that we have different views on it. And so my view is what I'm presenting to you now. And you, you can agree with it or not agree with it or do whatever you want with it. And uh, so, <clears throat> as I talked to the Lord about which direction to take this week, you know, he, he, didn't, he didn't, wasn't at first giving me anything specific. It wasn't until I started writing it that he actually started giving me things, but he wasn't saying much. And so, the message is a bit of a two-edged sword for me, because even though I felt the, I felt the release then, because he wasn't giving me anything specific to teach on, I felt, I felt like, okay, well then I must be able to just kind of go, go my own way and teach on, which is kind of uncomfortable for me. You know, usually he, he tells me what he wants to, wants to talk about, and that's, but since I wasn't getting anything, I thought, okay, well, that, mean, that means I guess I get to pick, and I don't really like to pick, but I thought, well, since I try to teach on this once a year, let's go ahead and do this, and we'll teach on finances, and, and uh, there's, again, there's, there's a lot of wrong teaching on this. You know, in my experience, I grew up in church, and I've heard a lot of teaching on it, and I'm like, I don't see that in here, you know, um, to be fair, and so, um, don't want to get ahead of myself here. This is important because the Bible tells us ministers to teach the whole counsel of God. So I, I can't hold anything back that I know that's profitable to you. And uh, the Bible does have a lot to say about finances and provision, and. Um, just to pique your interest on this, because I, like I mentioned before, there's a lot of wrong teaching on this subject. Uh, 
do you know that there's, that I at least have never seen any command in the New Testament to tithe? I've probably got some people at home that are like, what did he just say? It does, the, Jesus said give. He said give. Okay. Now, I think a lot of people, they put too much focus on this word tithe. Tithe just means a 10%. It's just, it's just, it's just a tenth. Okay. God's command to the Jews to tithe, because there was a command to the Jews to tithe. And the Old Testament, you know, in Malachi, God told the Jews, you robbed me of tithes and offerings. The whole reason that they were supposed to tithe was for the upkeep of the temple. Okay? And they weren't tithing, so the temple was in disrepair. It happened several times, if you go back and you read the history. And so God told them, you robbed me of tithes and offerings. And he said, test me in this. If you, get, if you get, bring in the tithes to the storehouse... And, and see that I don't open the windows of heaven and pour out blessings upon you. Such blessings you can't contain it, right? That's in Malachi. And so that's an area that God said, it's okay to test me here. That's interesting because the rest, you know, Jesus you know, made it clear. The word says don't test the Lord your God. That's the only place that he allows us to test him. And I think that the, I, I believe it carries over in the New Testament because it's something physical that we can offer to God and test him with. It's like I'm testing you to see if I can trust you with this. And then when you see the return come, and the return doesn't always come financially, by the way. It can come in other, many other blessings. It can, uh, you know, come back to you in many ways, I guess you could say. Um, but but the, I believe that that, that that applies to today. So I, I believe that that's one of the only area that we can really choose to test him in. And so the tithe was given to the Jews to... to uh, for the upkeep of the temple. But even before that, Abraham tithed to Melchizedek. So there was even uh, an example of tithing before there was even a command. Okay, so tithing was established before this even happened, before, before God even gave the command. But the command initially to the Israelites was for the upkeep of the temple. That place that was a physical building where all the animals were bought for sacrifice, and it's where the priests stood and worshipped God, offered you know praise to God. And it, 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 but it, because it was a physical building, it did require maintenance. And see, now that Jesus has come and fulfilled the law, we are under the new covenant where God lives inside each one of us. See, God dwelled at the temple. Now he dwells within us individually. That's why there's no need for a physical temple now, because the word says in the New Testament that now we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So that's why, that's why you don't see a specific command in the New Testament to tithe. Not that you can't tithe. You can. You know, I... I told the story before about how I got into one of those Facebook debates with a lady. Now, this was actually a friendly Facebook debate because I, I know her. You know, she, um, I actually consider her a mentor. We, you know, we attended the same church in California. She taught me a lot about being a Christian. Um, had a really good relationship, but, you know, sometimes we disagree with other Christians about things that are not foundational. I mean, we always have to agree on the blood. We always have to agree on how, how God gives salvation. We always have to agree on those things. But other things is not, you know, not necessarily um, necessary that we agree, but, but the Bible does say to agree as far as you can. You know, agree, agree to, to the degree that we have attained. Or, you know, agree as far as you can. Stay in, stay in unity as far as you can. And so, you know, it's okay that she and I didn't agree, didn't, you know, see eye to eye, but, but we're typing back and forth, you know, and she was saying that we can't tithe because there's no mention of it in the New Testament. 
And uh, I reminded her what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 9. I said, he, Paul said, let each one give as he's reasoned in his heart. She said, yes. I said, so then what if I've reasoned in my heart that 10% is right for me to give? And she said, no, no. If you do that, you're, you're putting yourself under the traditions of men. And I, I'm like, no, no, no. I'm sorry. I'm not. Because that's something that was instituted before the law was ever even given. You know. So I said, I still accept Abraham's tithing to Melchizedek as an example of giving for the right reasons, you could say, or giving with the right heart. You know, and so what I told her is, I said, as a pastor, I can't tell people what they can or can't do with their money. I said, because if I, if I tell them it's okay to give 1 through 9%, or it's okay to give 11 through 100%, but I tell them it's not okay to give 10%, have I not put them in fear of giving the 10%? No, no. The Bible says let each one give as he's reasoned in his heart. That means that what I give and when I give is between me and God. Only. Right? Do I have you on this? You all are very quiet. You're just looking at me. I can get an amen from the people at home. <laughs> and, you know, when I say what I give, the reason I say that is because a person doesn't have to give money in order to give. We talked about that a little last week. You know, you can give of your time. You can give of your energy, your wisdom, your talents. You can, you can, you know, just give of resources that you have on hand. You know, or you can, I mean, we receive peace from Jesus. I can promote peace in somebody else's life. I can give love, you know. And giving doesn't necessarily mean giving to the church either. Every time that I teach on this, I always say that if you get the feeling I'm teaching on this just so that you put more on the offering plate, know that you can give anywhere. Give as you feel led, where you feel led. Now, I will add this, though, because this is my personal belief from what I read in the Word. You sow where you are being fed. That, but that doesn't mean you can't sow other places, you know. I mean, you may be standing in the grocery line, and God will say, pay for that person's groceries. Amen? My brother asked me one time, he said, have you ever tried to pay for someone's groceries? They're like, no, 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 I can pay for it. I can pay for it. He's like, I know that you can pay for it. I just want to pay for it. I just want to bless you. I want you to know Jesus loves you. You know, it's good to note that the book of Ecclesiastes tells us to sow in many places, more in one place. We as a church, we sow, I mean, we have three different ministries we give to regularly. An overseas ministry and then a, a really, really local ministry and then a kind of a semi-local ministry. And that was just because I felt, you know, when Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses in, in, in Jerusalem and then in Judea and then to the other parts of the earth, that's that, you know, city, uh, city influence and then region influence and then world influence. So that's why we, that's why we do it that way. But that's just, a, that's just a side thing. That's just how we, how we felt led to do it. It doesn't have to be done that way. But. So then, you know, we, we give to more than one place, each of us, it, 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 we give to more than one need, if you will, as we reason in our heart. Now, if you give to a local church, what that means is you are partnering with them in the ministry they are doing. 
you know, Paul talked about that to the Philippian church. He said, you were the first church that partnered with me in my ministry. In other words, he, he, that church said, Paul, we want to give to you so that you can go further with your ministry. And so what they're doing is actually they're propelling him. They're actually partnering with Paul and saying, we believe, in what you, we believe you are good ground. We believe that you are doing what God has told you to do, and so we want to sow into you. Because there's that, there's that um, element of sowing and reaping. And, you know, you think about this, people, I mean, I guess it's appropriate to talk about this because it's harvest time. I guess if, you know, it's, it's the time of year that you have a harvest. Well, farmers sow into the ground for the purpose of reaping a harvest, but what, why are they after the harvest? Are they after the harvest simply because they want to make a profit, or are they after the harvest because they want to provide for their family and make sure that they can continue to do what they're doing? So a lot of this does come down to motive too. You know, I heard a, a, a one of actually one of the best Bible teachers that I've heard. You know, talking on this subject, he said, "What happens if you teach a bunch of baby Christians about prosperity?" He's like, "You end up with a bunch of greedy baby Christians, because what they do is they start." And that's, of course, there's exceptions always, but what he was saying is, is if you teach immature people about this principle of sowing and reaping, eventually they just they just start to exercise their faith only to get what they can get from God. And not to, to understand why is God giving me these blessings. It's so that I can bless others, so that I can be provided for, and so that I can do what God's called me to do. It's not just so I can have stuff. You know, like the, the, uh, the rich young ruler that came to Jesus. And he said, what, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You know, and Jesus is like, well, you know, uh, you know the commandments. And he listed off a few of the commandments. He said, all these I've kept from my youth. And Jesus said, one thing you still lack. Go sell everything that you, all your possessions and give the money to the poor and then come and follow me. He actually said, you'll have treasure in heaven and then come and follow me. But what's interesting about that is that wasn't a command to everybody. That was a command to that specific guy because Jesus knew that he had a trouble in this area. Because it says that he went away sad because he had many possessions or he had great possessions in other words and that means that it wasn't even about the money he had in the bank it was about his stuff things he had collected that were precious to him more precious to him than following after jesus you see where i'm what i'm meaning by this this is all you know the motive you know why i mean there's nothing wrong with expecting a harvest when you sow but what is the motive you understand what i'm saying Nothing wrong with saying, okay, this is what God's going to give me back, or I'm expecting something from God so that I can have my needs met and so that I can bless others and, and be a, a more effective witness for the kingdom of God so I can share Jesus more effectively. Because if you go and you help somebody who's in need, you put something physical in their hand, they're much more willing to listen to you when you talk about Jesus. Anyway. See where I am here. So then... The other, the other side of this, too, is that you, you see a lot, of, uh, a lot of requests from people to, you know, uh, you know, I mean, you go online and watch some, some TV ministers sometime. I hate, I hate how they do things. You know, give right now and you'll get the fivefold blessing or whatever. It's like, no, no, no. The Bible says not to give by compulsion. Not to give because somebody has guilted you into giving. And I'll just say this, too. Is sometimes, you know, you end up with somebody, you come across somebody who is pressing on you, I have this emergency. And I mean, we, we all know that there's such a thing as a con artist out there. You know, and so you do, that's, that's one of the reasons you give as you feel led. Holy Spirit might say, no, don't give here. 
Four? Got the lights flashing at me. Yes, Lord. Okay, so uh, if, if somebody is pressing on you, you have to say, okay, let's stop and let me listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying. What is God speaking to my heart about this matter? Because just because somebody has a, uh, an emergency doesn't mean that it's your emergency. There were times Jesus told people no with things. You know, I mean, the one example comes to mind where they got, and it was actually, again, about, it was, a, it was a financial thing. This guy shouted out to Jesus while he's teaching and said, and said, teacher, tell my brother to split the inheritance with me. Jesus said, friend, who made me a judge in matters such as that? In other words, nope, not going to, nope, not going to do that. And then Jesus turned around to the crowd and said, beware of greed. Now, does that mean that anybody who is seeking their inheritance is greedy? No. No, it just means that in that case, Jesus knew that man's heart and knew it was about greed for him. So again, motive. Why, why is a person asking? You know, or why is a person expecting a harvest or, or, or whatever? You know? and, and so because that, that's, again, you know, why, why I think that Paul made such a big deal about let each one give as he's reasoned in his heart because it has to be a heart matter. It has to be I'm going to God and talking to him about giving and about what I should give, where I should give. I'm talking to him about my heart when I am giving. And it has to be between me and him. You understand what I'm saying? How, I mean, are, are you just really thinking strong or hard about this? Because you guys are really looking at... Okay, okay good, good. That, that's a good thing. So yeah, don't let anyone, anyone guilt you into giving or compelling you to give. I mean, I suppose that you might find yourself in a situation where God tells you, okay, this person that's asking for this is a con artist, but go ahead and give it to him anyway. I've had that happen. And it's like, why? Well, first of all, God can replace it in your life. Second of all, God might be dealing with that person about something. And in my case, it was. God told me, go ahead and give to them because I'm dealing with them about something else. Oh, Okay. And I didn't ask anymore because I kind of got the feeling it wasn't any of my business. Sometimes it's not. See, because, and, and th this is why, it, because it really comes down to stewardship. You, you, any money that you have, any possessions that you have are God's. The word said, God said, everything under heaven is mine. So you are a steward of what God has given you. And therefore, you are the one who needs to be saying, okay, it's, it's good to give here, it's good to maybe hold back here. You know, because you don't want to find yourself to where you're giving so much that you're hurting. And you'll also find that to God, the, the amount that we give is not as important as the heart of the one who gives. And again, I mean, I know that I'm kind of stressing on that, but that's that's true, because it's not, it's not just the amount. And, I, and actually, I do plan on getting into that a little bit later. But when, when I, earlier I used the, the, the example of God might say, okay, pay for this person's groceries. Well, I mean, there might be people watching, or there might be people here that maybe you, you, you hit a rough patch, and you can't even afford to do that. But the truth is, is that no matter what little amount you have, if you, if you sow it somewhere, see, again, test me in this. God said, test, sow it somewhere. I mean, even if it's like, well, this isn't even enough to even make a difference. Do it anyway. 
not necessarily in the church building. You know, I mean, I mean, even if it's a, I mean, I've talked to people that like, they're like, I don't even have, you know, this much. It's like, well, do you have a quarter? Put it in one of those little, or, or, or throw it in the Salvation Army bucket. That's a ministry that does a lot of good work. Well, it's only a quarter. Well, God doesn't care about the amount. He cares about the heart. Okay. Are we all okay with that? Okay. <laughs> Iris is speaking for you all. So, so if you don't agree with Iris, you better speak up. Okay. <laughs> so again, like I said, we might talk about that a little bit more. But for now, and this is the other side of it, because the, the title of the message is Giving God's Way. So, you know, it's not just us that give. God gives too. And so we're in this passage in Psalm 23. And like I said, I'm taking, really taking my time with this. Um, this passage is usually read at funerals, which is not bad, but I wish that Christians paid more attention to it because it talks a lot about God's desire to provide for and care for his people. So let's just start by just reading verse 1. We'll just read verse 1 of Psalm 23. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, or I shall not lack. The Amplified Bible. Or I, I will not need anything. Why doesn't he need anything? He said in the first line, because the Lord is his shepherd. I, he's saying, I have made God my shepherd. That is what I will not lack. All, right? All my needs will be provided for because God is my shepherd. You know, I think that many Christians don't put enough thought into what this is saying. It's just so simple. Very basic. But, you know, in this life, if God is my shepherd, I will not need anything. All my needs will be provided for. Okay? If you think about the life of a sheep, a domesticated sheep spends its entire life in the presence of its shepherd. In his presence. The shepherd helped its mother give birth to it. I mean, people who own livestock, right? That's how, you know, you, you help, you aid somehow. I don't know, I wasn't raised on a farm, so I don't like that icky stuff. But you know what I mean, you know, the, the shepherd probably helped the sheep, probably helped bring the sheep into the world. The shepherd then calls the sheep by name as it's growing up and leads it into good pasture, leads it to water, watches over it to protect it from wolves. Until the day the sheep dies, the shepherd is nearby all of its life. The sheep spends its entire life with the shepherd. Jesus, and Jesus called himself the good shepherd. From the moment that I make Jesus my shepherd, he is with me. He is nearby as long as I don't go astray because if I leave his side... That's something different. But as long as he is, because if I leave his side, I'm choosing that he's no longer my shepherd. Right? But if I stay near him, he is my shepherd. The psalmist said, I shall not want. Why shall he not want? It's because of the relationship that he has with his shepherd. You see? Who is your shepherd? 
Who do you allow to lead you through life? If the, the Lord is your shepherd, and you treat him like he's your shepherd, you shall not want. But, you know, you say, okay, well, you know, we really think about that. If I take a minute, well, who, really, who, I mean, I may, I may call the Lord my shepherd, but when I examine my life, is he the one leading me? Am I allowing him to lead me? Am I allowing him to tell me, this is right, do this, this is wrong, don't do that. Live here, don't live here. Sow here, don't sow there. And then if, the obvious question is, if I, ha if I tell myself, okay, well, because I've, I've, I've had this happen in my life, okay, well, right now I'm really not letting the Lord lead me. Well, then who am I letting? Who am I letting lead my life? Or am I not letting God lead me in this area? Am I being disobedient over here? I mean, God deals with us on things. Because it's the same thing that a shepherd will do with a sheep. Nope, not that way. Over here. And so the next few verses tell us what it's like to be one of God's sheep. So verse 2, if I can get there. It says, he makes me lie to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. And here's something that, you know, I mean, you think about it. That means then that not wanting is part of the path of righteousness. Because if I live as one of Jesus' sheep, he makes sure that I lack nothing. Therefore, there is nothing wrong with lacking nothing. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, if people ever, I mean, people all the time try to make other people feel guilty for having things. Well, this person doesn't have anything. Look at everything that you've got. I'm sure the enemy does that too. But it's, it's not wrong to want for nothing if the Lord is your shepherd. Okay? That's just a side little thing that I, I noticed as I was going through here. You know, one of my teachers at Ramah said, uh, he said, God doesn't mind if his people have things. He only minds if things have us. Like the rich young ruler. Everything. I don't want to give up what I have to follow you, Jesus. I'm sorry. In other words, those things had a hold on him. You know, if, if we love stuff, if we love the stuff that God gives us more than we love God himself, we're in trouble. Remember, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. The things that you need, they'll be added to you, because you seek God's kingdom first and seek his righteousness first. Is that not being close to him? Amen? So verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord 
forever. This whole psalm is a snapshot of what a person's life looks like after they have chosen to follow the Lord. Because you see, it goes all the way to the end of his days. So you could say that this psalm is a summary of what it's like to have Jesus as your shepherd. And, you know, because, like I said, see, notice it ends with dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. So this goes to the end of his natural days and then beyond into life with, with God after physical death forever. But it doesn't start with the day we're born. Did you notice that? At some point in this writer's life, he chose to make the Lord his shepherd. Just starts out by saying, the Lord is my shepherd. He doesn't say, he doesn't talk, say anything about the moment he was born. We're talking about now a decision. He wasn't born with the Lord as his shepherd. At some point, he made a public declaration in this psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. I've decided. The Lord is my shepherd. That's the moment of decision we're talking about. And then the psalm reads out from there until the end of his days. From the moment that he said, the Lord is my shepherd, and then out through the end of his days. So, his, so God remains his shepherd until the end of his days. And notice, though, that right after he chooses, right after he chooses to follow the Lord, there is that immediate enjoyment of God's provision that just is poured into his life. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Now, any, any, and, and we've all seen anybody who's, who's been walking as a Christian for uh, uh, long enough to see another person accept Jesus, they can see God's blessings poured out in this person's life, right? Immediately. And then you think back and say, you know what? That happened to me too. But then you notice that almost immediately after that, the trouble comes. And we've all experienced that too. And so, I mean, many times I've seen a, a person who's just come to the Lord, and as soon as trouble starts to come, it's like, okay, now I'm watching because I want to see what they're going to do now that the trouble comes. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That comes right after all that. This is something that most Christians encounter pretty quickly, like we said. And, you know, too many of them, if any of them do it, it's too many, but too many of them when they start to experience that trouble, they turn back from following after the Lord. Well, what are they doing now? They're running away from their shepherd just because now he's led them into a valley. It's the valley of the shadow of death. And here's something that's interesting since, since we're kind of on the subject of sowing and reaping and you have a harvest. And uh, One of the teachers at Rhema mentioned something very interesting. She said, you know, she said, did you know that the most sought-after fruit it, 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 um, physically and naturally, you know, the, the most expensive fruit that people buy and then sell, again, for a profit, is the fruit that grows in the valley. The fruit that grows on the mountaintop is, is not as high quality because the soil is not as high quality up there. She said, you, you know, you're going to have to go through some valleys in life to see fruit produced in your life. Why? Because that's the times that you're, you know, the testing of your faith produces patience. Patience produces all these other things. Amen? So then, 
what happens is a lot of these Christians, they come into this, this moment where all of a sudden now things are hard. I've experienced God's goodness. Oh, God, you're so good. Thank you so much. And then, wait a minute. Why are we going over here into this valley? And too many of them turn back. But what happens is, is that when they turn back, they miss out on the full picture where God then begins to prepare a table for them in the midst of their enemies, where he anoints their head with oil and where their cup runs over. These things take place after the valley. And God leads us through many valleys in our life. Many. Jesus said, in the world you will have trouble. But be good cheer, I have overcome the world. So then your shepherd, the one who leads you through the valley, has already overcome everything that's in that valley. So stay by the shepherd's side. See, we can't, we can't help but be blessed if he's our shepherd, because then goodness and mercy follows us all the days of our life. So if we back up, we can't help but back up into God's goodness and mercy. You're just, you're just a, a force to be reckoned with. You little more than a conqueror, you. If you've said out loud, if you've, if you've made God your shepherd, if you've said out loud, Jesus is your Lord, you believe that God has raised him from the dead, you've got God's goodness and mercy following you. The word says you are saved. The, word Greek, the Greek word saved is sozo. It means saved, healed, delivered. <laughs> I was reading an article one time about this line here where the psalmist said, he anoints my head with oil. And it turns out Israeli shepherds would rub oil on the heads of their sheep because there's a type of bug or, or parasite that, that will dig into the sheep's eyes and their nostrils and it causes blindness. But, when, but, but if the shepherd rubs the oil over the sheep's head, rubs the oil, that's really what anoint means. It means to rub oil in. So, they're anoint, so as they do that, it forms a protective barrier, and those bugs can't get in there. It prevents blindness of the sheep. <laughs> See, the more time the sheep spends with the shepherd, the more the sheep yields to the shepherd the more areas of the sheep's life are blessed by the work of the shepherd. This is God's giving, what he gives to the sheep. So, how blessed you are is directly related to how close you are to your shepherd. This psalm tells us God is more than enough for us. David said, my cup runs over. Not just, well, I have enough to get by. No, my cup runs over. I don't have room for all the good things that God's pouring into my life. It's spilling out, spilling over into other people's lives around me. <laughs> Amen. Jesus told Peter, let's launch out into the deep for a catch of fish. He didn't say, let's try to catch some fish. He said, let's go out for a catch, you and me. Peter did what Jesus said, and there were so many fish that they were sinking Peter's boat. So many that Peter called for the partner's boat to help me bring in this catch. My boat is sinking. See, some Christians need to understand that they just need to get a bigger boat. But again, what am I going to use this catch for? What am I going to use this excess for? My cup's running over, Lord. Where, where do you want me to spill it? So to speak. But like we said, 
earlier, the cup running over part comes after we get through the valley. After Jesus worked that miracle of the fish, Peter told Jesus, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. You shouldn't be around me, I'm just, I'm just too sinful. Evidently, Peter had gone through some valleys in his life. He had a past. Lord, I'm not worthy to be around you. But Peter, like the rest of us, had a call on his life. And God provided for the call, you notice. Peter was a fisherman by trade. That means that he knew where to sell the fish to get the best. You think about it. I mean, Jesus could have blessed Peter anyway. He could have said, hey, you know, look at that cart of wheat over there. God provided that for you. But Peter was not a farmer, so he couldn't have said, okay, well, I know where to sell the wheat. No, Jesus provided him with an overabundant catch of fish because Peter knew where to get the best price for the fish. That would have, if you think about it, that cost would have provided for a lot for Peter's household because Jesus said, come with me, partner with me in ministry, come out on the road with me. So then that catch would have provided for Peter's household while Peter was away with Jesus. Because we know Peter had a wife. So he can't be, he, if he's with Jesus preaching the gospel, then he can't be at home getting, you know, catching fish to provide for his household. But no, his, his household's provided for now because God, when he calls us, and he has called all of us, when he calls us, he will provide for the call. Some people, I've heard people say it's his will, it's his bill, you know. But, you know, we're in covenant with God, so we can come and say, Lord, we've got an electricity bill. <laughs> because the word said, my God will supply all your need according to his riches and glory. Amen. So, we need to get over into the reality that God wants to provide for us. If, a per if I don't believe God wants to provide for me, how can I ever receive anything from him? Because I don't trust him. If I don't believe that God wants to provide, and, and, and not, not that I don't work, because, because we do. I mean, the word said a workman's worthy of his hire. We work in God's kingdom. It wasn't like the catch of fish that Peter got made it so he could retire. His family could live off of it while he was working with Jesus. See? That's another way to partner with somebody in ministry. You work with them. Peter was working with Jesus at his side. So, if we understand then, if we, if we keep that before us, that God wants to provide for us, then we can learn to trust him, and then we can receive from him by faith. Because if I don't trust him, how can I receive anything from him? It's like, you know, you used the example before, someone could walk into the, into the room that we never met before, Some, someone could walk in and say, I have a I have a $100 bill in my wallet, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back next week and then I'm going to put it in your hand. Well, how can I trust what they say is true because I don't know them? I, don't, I, can't, I, can't, I can't trust that. I mean, if they happen to show up and give it to me, okay, now we've got some grounds for trust. But before that, it's like, I, I, how, can you, how can you trust them? You know, not that you don't like them, not that you don't love them, but you're not going to trust that, right? Anyway. So this idea of giving then, that's why I say giving God's way, because giving, giving is a two-way street with God. Yes, God expects us to give, but he gives back, and you can't outgive God. 
you know, and so go ahead and, and uh, turn with me over to Mark chapter 12, if you would. I was really, I really took my time with this, guys, and I still got, you still got 15 minutes extra. But you know, if I, if I, if I dismiss you 12, 15 minutes early, that means you've got 15 extra minutes to sow somewhere else, right? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. All right. Yeah, put it to work. Matthew 12. Mark, excuse me. Mark. Thank you, guys. I just wanted to see if you were paying attention. Matthew 12, I mean Mark 12, I did it again. Man, I should have taught on forgiveness. You guys need to forgive me. It's a ministry fake out. <laughs> okay, Mark 12. So look down at verse 41. This is where, again, where we talk about a mount. <clears throat> 